The Start On Demand. On demand. We'll talk about Garbage Hill, the new sign. Yes, we spoke about it yesterday, but we want to have a little bit more of a chit-chat about it today. Your favorite non-traditional Christmas carols. What are those for you? We share ours. Stinky hockey equipment. This is kind of a rite of passage in Canadian homes. Did a pedestrian strain of marijuana get into the legal cannabis food chain, so to speak? We'll go to Washington. So much going on in the U.S. Capitol. Reggie Cicchini will try and sort that out for us. It's the start on demand. Why don't we start right now? Let's get her going. Is the inferiority complex finally starting to fade in Winnipeg? Oh, I think so. Yeah. Well, as the rest of the world may be waking up to the awesome things about Winnipeg, let's face it, we have been mostly well-known elsewhere for our least favorite things, mosquitoes, cold, and crime. Are we starting to celebrate the excellence, the unique, and the quirky things that are found only in Winnipeg? So as you all might know, earlier this year, someone, of course, decided to erect a sign on Garbage Hill, Westview Park, the dump, whatever you want to call it. It was quickly removed, but yesterday it was replaced by a permanent moniker. We talked about this yesterday and what we thought about it. I think we both agree, Greg. Love it. Yeah, pretty cool. Oh, what's this? Do you know what? You don't know no. this song? Really? Never heard it. Come on, Megan. I'm not yeah. surprised Ron hasn't heard it. Nana Muscuri? It is Nana Muscuri. Hey. Yeah, got that right. <laughs> Who picked this? Is this someone's favorite? This is my favorite, but I consider it a traditional Christmas song because it's been part of my Christmases for 45 years. Wow. Yeah, Glenn Campbell did a version of this oh, too. A really, such a really beautiful nice song. Yeah. And our uh, loyal listener, Kristen, loves this song. So I wanted to play that for her this morning. It's Mackling. I think Nam. that might be my wife's favorite Christmas really? song too. Yeah. Your wife has very good taste in everything but husbands. Um, I knew that was coming. Ouch. <laughs> Mackling. McNabb. No McGarry, but we have more. We have Braun. We have Forche with you as we talk about our favorite non traditional Christmas songs on our last day together uh, before Christmas. Uh, Brett will be back on Monday. I'll be here, but McNabb will be gone. And Kelly, are you off on Monday? No, I'll be here. Surprise, surprise, Brian. I'll be gone. There we go. In my mind, I'm already gone. But you'll have Bob Irving sitting in here. When? Uh, on Christmas Eve, because I'm going to be actually Hal Anderson on Christmas oh. Eve. Bob Irving's going to be here on Christmas Eve? Bob Irving is going to and be I'm here on Christmas this. Eve. I get yeah. my Christmas present early. I oh. love it. Thank yeah. you, Kelly. That's You're exciting. Welcome. What it's kind fantastic. of having coffee can we do with Bob? Anyway, I want to yeah. be here. <laughs> be here. You want <laughs> to be here? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so why don't we start with uh, Jeff Braun's favorite uh, non-traditional. Bruce! Oh. Yeah, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pop. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's classic. Excellent. I don't know if it gets better, quite frankly. Wait, when it gets faster, right here. Hang on. No, I just mean in the overall <laughs> sense, <laughs> McNabb. Yeah. <laughs> not the song itself. It does boom. It does reach crescendo. 
Max Weinberg would tell you the drums are the best part of the song. Absolutely. Uh, he played this on Conan once because Max was the drummer back then or whatever. Right. It was very funny. Yeah, yeah, this Max. is one you like to sing along uh, to after you've had a couple of beers. <laughs> I wouldn't know. Oh, I, love I wouldn't this. know, Kelly. I would know that very well. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Forche, first of all, Thank you for the lovely gift this yes. morning. Jeff Fortier came all adorned with uh, gifts. He played Santa Claus to us this morning. And, and like hand-wrapped oh, and all packaged together. It also included a beverage, which I just think and is a nice... And he's wearing a suit. And he's wearing a suit. He's he looks so dapper. Mr. Mr. Fortier, you've yeah. raised a quality young man. We love you, Jeff. I'm just trying to look dapper, that's all. <laughs> well, you're doing a great job, buddy. Merry Christmas. What's your most favorite non-traditional Christmas song? Well, you know, it gets played every year, and, uh, well... Of course. <laughs> it's a terrible song, but the thing is, for the first few years, I actually didn't know it said it's Dominic the Donkey. I thought it was, it's time to lick the donkey. <laughs> I... Is that why you got banned from the petting zoo? <laughs> it was never a, never allowed to play pin the tail on the donkey after that. Oh yeah. Oh no, it took me goodness. years, years till I figured out it was Dominic the donkey. <laughs> Oh, that is, I think we need to stand right there. Does it get better than that? I don't think it does. Oh, you can't top that. Well, yeah. Kelly, why don't we go to your favorite? Sure. Well, uh, Is there any chance that there's a country music influence here? I resemble that very much. Is it George Strait? Alan Jackson. Alan Jackson. Oh. Yeah. And in this particular show, his wife and his three daughters came out and joined him on stage. Oh. Yeah, it just It's one of my absolute all-time favorites. I picture you and Mrs. Moore just uh, doing a nice two-step in the kitchen to that one. And then a yeah. dish of cabbage rolls and turnips with carrots and <laughs> we'll follow. With marble cheese on top. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now, McNabb, nice you and I were, were singing uh, our own versions of a couple of different songs not suitable for, <laughs> for the airwaves this well, morning. Well, my parodies weren't, but this... Y your parodies were very good, uh, But this way. one is actually, like, I hear this, and I just think it's hilarious that it, this riff went into it. It's a very, like, Christian song, which I enjoy, but then they put this part. Like, how did it go here? You know? Yeah. What was Boney M doing in the studio? Making it funky. They were. Uh, <laughs> and I laugh and I love it. Like, I just, you know, I get dancey. I hear this song and I also think of the Christmas mini pops album that I heard <laughs> over and over and just over In the again. vein of Forche's misunderstanding the lyrics, we, we always listened to the Boney M album when we were kids. Yeah. And they got the song Feliz Navidad. Yeah. And my little sister and I, we didn't know Spanish, so we're, we thought they were singing At Least No One Died. <laughs> And we're like, that's a pretty good Christmas. Like, I guess that's a good way to measure no Christmas. That's a pretty good sentiment. Yeah, at least no oh. one died. Oh boy. Oh. I'm never going to forget that now. I'll never be able to hear that song properly. Okay. Oh boy, that's good stuff. Mackling. Well, mine doesn't even use the word Christmas, doesn't even allude to Christmas, but uh, December 8th, 1980. John Lennon. Yes. John Lennon was assassinated. And of course, Double Fantasy had just come out. And I heard this song. Over and over and over again. Mm. And yeah. at the time, I lamented it somewhat. 
but my mom loved this song, so it's an indelible part of Christmas for me, just because of the time of year that this happened. Yeah. And boy, did my mom cry herself through this album. Yeah. But it's a big part of Christmas in our house. It's a beautiful song. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Thanks for this. Keep your favorite non-traditional Christmas songs coming our way at 780-6868. Mike says, uh, Bob and Doug's 12 Days of Christmas. We I might, almost chose that. We yeah. might have to sneak that in. <laughs> we should have actually, I wish we had put this request out earlier. But, well, I guess we can't get on air or any earlier, but then I could have thought of all the things because now I want to replay all of these. Well, like there's the Adam Sandler's Eight Crazy Nights, which well, is pretty maybe funny. Maybe we'll have and... to build a playlist as we make our way through the morning. <laughs> Jeff Braun has your global news and weather coming up next at 7 o'clock. It's Mackling and McNabb. It's the start on 680 CJOB. Good morning. I'm Greg. She's Loren. It's a stench that every athlete... But perhaps more importantly, their parents have turned their noses up at for decades, Loren. Yeah, and this story stuck out to me because as I got into the car this morning, I thought, ah, I have left the hockey equipment in the car. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And my kids are just six and eight, so it doesn't really stink yet. It just but... it's developing its own odor. <laughs> it's I can, maturing. I can see it coming in the smell of the hockey gloves. I can't see it. I smell it coming. And so this headline jumped out of me about an Alberta man who has an invention to try and erase it. Here's Global's Kevin Carius. Fear the gear. It's something every hockey family has to deal with. Equipment can get rank. Because if you leave it in your bag, like, overnight before a game or a practice, it gets, like, really disgusting. Sure, there are a few products that might help. I have the spray that I try and use. I have the little, uh, little pucks that go in my skates. Doesn't really seem to work all that great. Nobody likes being the stinky guy. From the pros to the amateurs, nobody likes stinking on the bench. Alex Von Hoff believes he has the answer. It's called a portable ozone generator, or POG for short. This unit produces a molecule that sources out what causes odors and eliminates them quickly. So you can clean a hockey gear bag in about an hour. And so the way that we tell kids to use them and, and hockey moms to use them is, uh, or hockey dads, open the bag, hold the button for four seconds, you'll turn it on, throw it in the bag, zip it up, you're done. The POG also eliminates bacteria, mold, and mildew. Several NHL teams are using them, including the Oilers, Jets, and Canucks. But what about the many rec hockey and minor hockey players? My mom was the, the happiest out of the family, that's for sure. These minor hockey players tried the POGs out. It definitely worked on their equipment. Put it in my bag, put it on the three-hour cycle. Came back the next day and I was shocked. It actually smelled good for once. It actually like doesn't smell as bad anymore. I was kind of kind of surprised because it was it was pretty bad. I'll be honest. It was it was pretty bad. Oh boy, those were the good old days, stinky. No. And then your hands, like even uh, when anyone in my family goes to play rec hockey, and in then the they, hockey and they'll shower and come home, and it's still like you're clean. This doesn't smell clean. <laughs> hey, if you haven't bought your mom a gift for Christmas yet, and there happens to be a hockey player. Oh. Think about it. Absolutely. And what are you doing leaving the equipment in the car anyway? I just forgot about it. And honestly, they're supposed to take it out, but we were excited to get home and had a couple Christmassy things we're doing. And 
And honestly, my equipment was in there too. I didn't bring it out. So Nothing worse than the freezing cold skates on a Saturday morning. Sound like a Christmas song. It's not. It's a non traditional Christmas song. One of our listeners sent to us. That is the theme of the day. Do you know who it is? No. Rosie O'Donnell and the Dixie Chicks. Wow. It's called Merry Christmas from the Family. A little bit of a dysfunctional family. A little bit of a. Is it okay to call the redneck family? No, it's not okay, but I don't know. I just did. It's fine. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I will not be putting that on the playlist this year. I'm not going to lie. It's actually pretty good once you get it's right funny. into it. It's funny, yeah. yeah Plus, course. I do love the Dixie Chicks, so. <sighs> it's tough not to love the Dixie Chicks. I'm Greg, she's Loren. What do we got coming up? Uh, well, we've got an hour and 53 minutes left. Uh, before you're on holidays. Before I hit the road, yeah. Um, or hit the road home, but hit the road out of here. We got a story uh, coming up at just after 8.30 that I think is going to get a lot of reaction. It's a terribly tragic story about a woman who lost her baby who was just four months old and then how the benefits ended, her her leave benefits ended three days after that death. And so she's pushing really hard for change on that front about doesn't need the whole year maternity leave, but but three days seems ridiculous. So we're going to explain a bit more about that to you and get your thoughts on that. She also had an MP backing that move. We'll tell you how that went in the House of Commons. And if you have a Blue Bomber fan on your Christmas list, and there I would say 40 or older will have the perfect gift to put under the tree. It's the latest book. It might be the uh, authority on Dieter Brock, the Birmingham Rifle. Author Robert Young will have uh, lots to share with us when he joins us in studio after the news at 9.30. But to start this hour, Premier Pallister is calling on Health Canada to explain why it failed to alert Manitoba that it had concerns with what Pallister is calling illegal weed being brought, pardon me, bought by a legal Winnipeg best. Uh, based cannabis facility. Loren? So, so Health Canada started its investigation into the company Bonafi a few weeks ago. The Manitoba government says they weren't made aware there was a possible problem until the company themselves notified the province on Tuesday. So for now, the province has suspended sales of all products from Bonafi. Again, Pallister calling what happened here an illegal entry of a product. What information do you have to confirm that it was illegal? You're not using the word alleged or anything. Well, I'll use the word alleged at this point, I guess, but we can't presume it's safe when it's uh, uh, clearly, according to the people of the company, an illegal product that entered the marketplace, that entered uh, their retail distribution system um, outside of the scope of the of regulated licensed product. So can you define They're making what illegal that. is for us? Well, I'll let the people at the company do that for what us. What did the company tell the government? Well, look, we're, they, what they did was notify Health Canada, who did not notify us. I think that's the principal issue of concern right now. Uh, we came into possession of this information courtesy of the company itself, not from Health Canada. That is totally unacceptable. A week and a half after Health Canada is notified of an illegal product entering the retail stream, we come into possession of information that Health Canada did not provide us with. Now, we've got to protect the integrity of the system because we have to protect the people who are using this product. And we cannot do that effectively or well 
if the federal officials in charge of this licensing process and uh, essential partners to all of the provinces in the retail distribution of the product don't communicate with us. That should be self-evident. This is the kind of thing that happens when initiatives like this are rushed. I've been trying to communicate to the federal government for a long time on this. The horse is out of the barn. We are now selling cannabis all across the country. And if Health Canada uh, is not going to provide information to us on illegal product entering the marketplace within a 10-day period, we have a serious, serious problem. I'm not going to suggest that anyone would want this to happen, but given the line the Premier has been towing for the past few years on the legalization of cannabis, his push from himself and the Justice Minister to say, slow down, we don't want this, this is now going to be his thing to say, see, I told you so, This, you went too fast. Now, we don't know anything more than what's being said by the Premier in terms of what actually happened here. And is it possible that this is the kind of thing that could happen? I don't know. That was a 1 minute 44 second back and forth. Most of that was Premier Pallister. Some of it was Steve Lambert from Canadian Press. I don't know if I've heard the Premier speak that definitively, that impassioned about what's going on with meth. I mean, that's an eye-opener to me. He was a very measured in what he said. He was he sounded angry. He sounded let down and was very, very articulate on something uh, that we know he's not necessarily a fan of and happening I, in the first I, place. It would be to me, that would be why that that pitch was made like that, though, because he's been saying from the get-go that he's worried about the ability to monitor these situations. So I'm going to explain a bit more about that in a second. But first, on the idea that Health Canada didn't come to Manitoba and explain what happened, it said in a statement late last night that it's aware there are concerns about its communication failure with the province. But it also added it's still trying to determine whether the law has actually been broken, pointing out that no such determination has been made at this time towards a contravention of the Cannabis Act. There are reports out there that, that show that there might have been an illegal purchase here. They're still investigating. So that's what their line is. But even with an investigation, Premier saying, you could have let us know. Well, and it's uh, no secret now that the supply chain has been compromised somewhat. Is it safe for us to say that? Here's what Christiane Deschamps of the Liquor, Gaming and Cannabis Authority had to say, Greg. Um, there are allegations of entry of illicit product into Manitoba's supply chain through those bonafide products. Um, but that would be something for Health Canada to examine and confirm through their own investigation. So there are apparently to date been no reports of consumers having bad reactions to any of the pot produced by Bonafide. We don't know if whether this alleged illegal product even got into the consumer stream. Now as to who's responsible for catching things like this, here's an explanation again from the Liquor and Gaming Authorities. Um, Bonafide is licensed uh, by Health Canada as a producer. In Manitoba here, our responsibility is to regulate Manitoba's retail stores. And so we took immediate action upon hearing of these allegations to seize all products to ensure that our stores didn't have any of the, uh, the products with potential irregularities. We actually had superb cooperation from our licensed stores here in Manitoba, um, and we had swift action from our own inspectors. So actually, um, we just found out about this investigation late Tuesday, and less than 36 hours later, um, we 
had our inspectors out there seizing the product. So I'm really pleased about the level of cooperation from our licensed stores here in Manitoba, and that just made our jobs much easier and let us get this done really quickly. Just really one in a long line of concerns and issues that's been plaguing the rollout of legalized cannabis, Loren. And uh, one of our listeners just sent us in a text message. Do you mind if I read it? Good morning, folks at CGOB. I went into a few cannabis stores last night to get a very small amount uh, in the day. We quickly learned that many stores are out of small amounts and you are now forced to purchase in the $40 to $50 range, which is keeping, in this listener's opinion, street dealers well in business. Interesting point. If that's the scenario that's happening at other stores, that's that's fascinating. I think there's going to be more fallout from this in terms of, A, just the whole, how, how we monitor all these things to make sure this isn't happening. But the supply issue has been an issue from the get-go. And the GAN could be used by the Premier to say, hey, you rushed it. I'm Mackling. She's McNabb. It is the start. McGarry's back on Monday. Loren, when we uh, asked our next guest to join us, we figured we'd be talking about this government shutdown in the United States and the fact that it would be looming uh, since then. All heck has broken loose in uh, Washington, D.C., and I really don't think... That's an overstatement. No, we're talking about, well, there's a couple things we're talking about, but uh, President Trump has threatened that a partial government shutdown would last for a very long time if Congress does not meet his demand today for billions in funding for that border wall that you mentioned. Joining us on the phone now is Reggie Cicchini from Washington. Uh, Good morning, Reggie. Uh, Hectic day ahead, I'm guessing. Hectic day, yes, down here. First of all, I will say it's 17 degrees in Washington today, so it's a little bit better than that minus 10 <laughs> Thanks, right Reginald. now where you guys are. Had to get that in. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it is insanely hectic down here right now because there are two big stories right now. Yes, there's that border funding, and yes, there's the uh, issue with uh, with uh, James Mattis uh, giving that kind of abrupt resignation yesterday. But on this, uh, this, this border security issue that we're looking at with a potential government shutdown, I mean, the president is all over this right now. He's tweeted uh, somewhere around nine or ten times this morning on this matter – trying to tell uh, the Senate to use the nuclear option to just simply go with 50 plus one votes to get this moving forward. Uh, it's likely not going to happen. This was passed last night in the uh, in the House of Representatives. This is likely going to be a DOA bill when it heads into the Senate. The president is likely not going to find the funding to get this wall built. Reggie, the last time we spoke, I can remember distinctly asking you, who's the next person in his cabinet Donald Trump will choose to ignore? It would seem as though Defense Secretary James Mattis was being ignored on a constant basis. Absolutely. And it, it, it almost uh, seems like that from the resignation letter that was handed yesterday by saying, you know, something along the lines of you deserve to have a secretary of defense whose views are better in line with yours. That's a pretty powerful slam to the president by somebody who's been in the military for 40 plus years, who is at a top level uh, in his department right now, who has kind of uh, rank and file all over the place falling in line with what he has to say. But the president doesn't like to listen to those that are on the inside that have the upper hand and the knowledge on this. The president likes to say, look, I know this better than anybody else. I know this better than the generals. So to have his secretary of defense up and leave in the middle of what's what's constituting a crisis right now with this withdrawal of troops from Syria and this potential withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan right now, uh, this leaves America at a very difficult uh, uh, juncture to be crossing right now because it uh, it has uh, it has allies right now looking and saying, well, where is, is America going right now? And it has the people on the opposite side uh, saying, well, you know, maybe this is an, uh, an opportunity for us to kind of uh, take America by, by the ankles and pull them in our direction. 
Well, how is this all playing out down there? And I'm wondering if, I mean, can is, is the story bigger about the resignation or about the government shutdown? Or are we, are we kind of relating the two when it comes together with the idea of the inability to see views beyond his own and the inability to work with others has now led to sort of a, a real crisis there? A crisis or, or, or the district being in chaos right now. That's basically how both sides are looking at this, because for the for the for the border part, for this uh, for this border security issue, we had senators that were already gone. We had some senators back in Hawaii yesterday that are on red eye flights trying to get back to Washington because they didn't think that this vote was going to have to go forward. They didn't think they'd be locked into this battle. They didn't think the president would actually be willing to shut down the government. Uh, meanwhile, we have people on both sides of the aisle, on uh, Democrat and Republican in both houses saying, well, we need to look at what's going on with this resignation of the defense secretary right now because the president appears to be going rogue right now. He appears to be making his own decisions. And, you know, the people who are supposed to be these calming voices inside the White House don't really fall in line with what he has to say. And they've kind of had enough and they don't want to do this anymore. So there's this big tailspin happening inside the Oval Office and inside Washington as a whole as people try to grasp what's actually going to happen, not only at midnight tonight if the government shuts down, but going forward when it comes to America's role in the Middle East. You know, it feels as though in the last 24 hours there are some in, on on both sides of the aisle, as they say down there, that are awakening to the idea that, that President Trump is really on his own agenda here. Is the Congress, our senators, is anybody have the power to stop him from doing so? Well, I mean, right now, the, the, the Washington is in Republican control, and for the last two years, they've just kind of fallen in line with what the president is doing, and that's why we've seen him uh, able to kind of run free with the agenda that he wants to put forward. He's going to have a big check and balance in a couple of weeks when Democrats take control of the House. He's not going to be able to just kind of put bills forward and put executive orders forward uh, without having some kind of scrutiny on them, and I think that he's in for a big surprise when Democrats either hold up a power of subpoena or start putting investigations in place to say, Mr. President, you can't do what you want to do without anybody standing standing in your way. You need to be able to uh, listen to both sides. So there's a big shock coming right now, but the bigger shock is going to be what happens in the next couple of hours and how much political fall either politicians are going to take or the president is going to take. So what does happen over the next few hours? Do they are they do they meet again? Are there talks? Like explain to us how that works before we go into a full shutdown. Absolutely. So the the house has already passed their bill that they've now sent down to the Senate. They they miraculously found, you know, upwards of 6 billion dollars to give the president to build this wall, basically taking it from debt and and uh, taking it from places that had money allocated to it already. The Senate is going to take this and not put it forward. They're not going to put border funding in it, so they're going to hand President a bill that he basically had yesterday. He's not going to sign that bill like he already said. So senators are going to be in a big fight right now with the White House over the next couple of hours. If this shutdown goes forward, there's going to be upwards of half a million people in the United States working for the federal government, either coming into work for no money or being furloughed and told that they're not allowed to come into work. So we're into a potential chaotic situation right now. Uh, Things that are kind of necessary, like uh, uh, TSA and and, uh, air traffic control and Medicare and Medicaid, that will run forward. Just a lot of those people will be working without pay. So imagine what it will be like at the airport if you're a TSA person working but not getting paid for it. You might work a little bit slower. Oh, on the busiest time of the year, without doubt. Reggie, so many more things we could ask you. We're out of time. Thanks for this. Thanks for your diligence. And uh, we look forward to speaking with you next week. And uh, Merry Christmas to you and yours. Happy holidays. That's Reggie Cicchini joining us from Washington, D.C. Lots going on there. A surprise, really, for me, Loren, and that was the next uh, point I wanted to get to if we had time, but we don't, is the fact that it's going to be the Senate that quashes this spending bill because, hey, hello, uh, the Republicans have the majority there. Even that bill is even... 
unpalatable to them. Mm-hmm. One of the senators was calling it a, a temper tantrum, tweeting out that it's clear that this temper tantrum is going to shut down government. And it's kind of like saying, build that wall, hell or high water. I got an approved smile from you. I love this song, and I know the message in it is so, like, bizarre in some way. I hate Winnipeg, but it's not the point for any of us who listen to it, right? Yeah, but you have to realize the actual title of this song is One Great City. Right. It's about examining the realities of living in our city. There's no hate on. It's just, you know, some distinct truths are shared in this song. Mm-hmm. That's the way I view it. It's the thing. I laugh at the line. Uh, it's not in this course. It's, it's in, in the, the next, next one. one? About the, the bombers no. and the jets? In the turning lane, another car, a call, a car is stalled again. And I'm like, yes, what happened when I moved back to Winnipeg about eight years ago? I was like, why are there so many? I even remember for a story, I was like, I'm emailing MPI. I'm going to get CAA to get me some data. Do we have more stalled cars here than anywhere else in the country? And the answer was, I think, no. But I was certain. Why are there so many stalled cars? That's one of the reasons why I love this song. <laughs> I love it, too. The weaker thins. One great city. And we're playing this because, well, it was the theme song for, a, well, it wasn't a comedy, but it was a regular television series that featured Winnipeg, where Winnipeg actually featured Winnipeg, Less Than Kind. Mm-hmm. And Winnipeg was essentially a character in the show. And at the beginning, they showed the confusion corner sign. Mm-hmm. And it sort of exemplifies life in our city, and it's uh, doing something special for those less fortunate this time of the year. Absolutely. And I think the sign is special to a lot of us. I remember thinking, like, they should change that, but then to what? You wouldn't be able to figure it out anyway. Like, what's what's the alternative solution? So, of course, there's the big Confusion Corner sign that's right up if you're heading north on Osborne. And now it's being made available in a smaller scale. Is that fair? I think that's a fair fair correlation. Joining us on the phone is Jenny Fwadar. She's Director of Marketing and Human Resources at Western Safety Sign. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning. So you guys tried to take something that's pretty big and pretty Winnipeg and, and I don't want to say dumb it down, make it more uh, viable buy that sign and, and carry it with you, basically. Yeah, for sure. We uh, we made them into uh, some little Christmas tree decorations, actually. <laughs> so who, who's Fantastic. I, whose idea was that? Like, where did that come from? Well, one of our designers actually made a replica a couple years ago, and we just had it up in our showroom at the uh, sign shop. And uh, we were trying to, we were brainstorming ideas to, you know, something to give out to clients that came in around the holiday season. And we thought, why not make the, these into little Christmas decorations? <laughs> we thought it was funny. I don't know. <laughs> Fantastic. And you've got another one as well. We mentioned One Great City and the Weaker Than Song. You're also featuring the Welcome to Winnipeg sign as an option as well, correct? Yes, we are. The the blue and yellow one that uh, was on The Simpsons. <laughs> That's right. So how can people yeah. get their hands on these? Have you got any left? Yeah, well, we just keep making them. So we've sold almost 300 already. Oh, my word. And um, Yeah, it, it really blew up because, uh, yeah, and um, 
we will keep making them as much as people want them. Before we <laughs> go into more about where some of that money is going towards, what signs do you actually make there? Like, do you make street signs? Or uh, you're not in the ornament biz, I'm going to guess. Like, that's not the thing <laughs> that you not. do. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we make a plethora of different signage, uh, like from safety signs and traffic signs, so street signs and such like And then as well as commercial signs for businesses and uh, custom signs for whoever wants one. (laughs) So how do we get our hands on these uh, tree ornaments before before Christmas time? Well, you can uh, head over to our website. It would probably be the best way now since we're closing down at the end of the day today for a few days. So, uh, yeah, if you go to westernsafetysign.com and search Christmas or ornament, uh, they'll come up there. And then we'll mail them to you when we get back to work next week. Okay. So uh, we might be too late for this Christmas, but we might be able to get them on the Christmas tree before New Year or or at least have them in hand for next year. Now, where is the money going to go? We, Lorraine mentioned that it's going somewhere special, and you've turned this into a typical Manitoba uh, giving opportunity. Yes, we did. Because, uh, we, well, we, as you said earlier, we don't make Christmas ornaments. But when we saw the opportunity to sell some of these, we said, why not give back? And uh, every year around Christmas time, since I can remember, we've always tried to do something for Winnipeg Harvest. So that was kind of the natural uh, reaction was to, to donate the funds that we raised to them. So how much are the ornaments sold for? Uh, they're five bucks. And, you, and yeah, all the proceeds are going to Winnipeg Harvest? Yeah, if you uh, buy a $5 ornament, $5 will go to Winnipeg Harvest. Fantastic. So on, online, they're actually $6 just to cover like the fees of the website and such, but... Uh, but yeah, it's fairly affordable. Why Winnipeg Harvest? What's it about that organization? We know it feeds thousands of families in this city. Uh, what is it for Western Safety Sign that wanted to give back to Winnipeg Harvest? Um, it's just, it's hard to think about people going hungry any time of the year, but especially around the holidays, um, it's a time to 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 check yourself and, and give what you can to uh, other people around you. And so that's kind of where that comes from. And also I have a baby at home, so I have this soft spot for all these little babies that need formula and, and you know, need some food to eat. Jenny, this is a win-win Winnipeg proposition. So congratulations <laughs> to you folks for putting it into action. And your website one more time before we let you run. Uh, westernsafetysign.com. I have one quick question. Have you ever been stuck or confused at Confusion Corner? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Actually, I was driving through there yesterday, I think, or the day before, and the lights were out at all of the Confusion Corner. Oh, boy. Yeah. Imagine that. (laughs) That's where that sign's not helping you. Uh, Nope. (laughs) Welcome to Winnipeg. We we built the sign. We warned you. Thanks, Jenny. Thank you. Merry Christmas as well to everyone at Western Safety Sign. That's Jenny Fuadar. Well, that's how I'm saying. I chose. I should have checked that with her first. Yeah, Is she still that? there? Hey, Jenny, how do we say your last name properly? Yeah, you're saying it great. Fuadar, oh, yeah. a little en français for us. Thank you, Jenny. <laughs> Take care. Merci. Bye-bye. Merci. I think it's a great initiative. Think about that sign. It's so Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. And then I want that as an ornament, let alone the idea of that when I buy it, it's I'm, I'm donating to Winnipeg Harvest. And on this, on the day when we learn that Manitobans, again, are the top of the most generous list in Canada when it comes to what we donate, kudos to them, to so, us, to everybody. Can somebody get that on a T-shirt as well, yes. please? Preferably like a worn T-shirt and, you know, like kind of the one, like... 
make it look like I've had it in my drawer for it would make so 27 many people years. Smile because even now, as I look at the keychain and the sign, I just think like, what are we thinking with this intersection? But also, were we really thinking these four arrows and the loop to loop and all the numbers? Were hey, wait a minute! <laughs> I missed that. Oh my god! I want to go. Go turn left to go right. Huh? Oh boy. I promised you a a gift idea or two for the Blue Bomber fan mm-hmm. in your life, and uh, th- that encompasses thousands of people in our community. Robert Allen Young is an author. He's written several bestsellers and two books about Winnipeg Blue Bombers, one called What Doesn't Kill You, the Lyle Bauer story, and his latest best-selling book, The Birmingham Rifle. It's the story of my favorite Blue Bomber of all time, Dieter Brock. And that was a love-hate relationship. Let me tell you about that, Mr. Young. And and you know a thing or two about how I feel about Dieter Brock. Great to see you, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. So what inspired you to write this book about number five? Um, after doing Lyle's book... Uh, and and some other stuff. I'm I'm not so much interested in the sport as I am with the person. What does it take to uh, get to that level? And you know, we've had discussions earlier on the difference between fame and greatness, and what's the difference, and how do people get there? Uh, and it, especially in Winnipeg, where we've got so many people who have excelled in in, in sports, in music, in arts, um, they've either come from Winnipeg or they've come here. And uh, this is their life now. And it's always fascinated me what's, what, what's going on behind the scenes. It's a real trade-off, right? It's a, it's a, it's a microscope. Yes. Because you're Especially in a smaller in community, market, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, it's difficult to be anonymous in this market. So that comes with pre- pressure, but it also comes with a tremendous gift because people adore you yes. when when you wear the blue and gold or jets colors in in a prideful way and and we we eat our young here we're capable of <laughs> yes. that yeah. but when you adopt us as your hometown and you become one of us we're seeing it with Mark Shifley right now yes. of the yeah. jets uh, there's a very special place for for athletes for musicians for artists in our community but there's it's also a responsibility that a, it, a lot of times you don't you haven't asked for mm. it's just placed on you and it, and it's expected um a lot of the uh the the college let's know are taking some of their players and teaching them that 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 it's it's as much responsibility as as it is talent but back in the day you know when Dieter played or Lyle or Chris Walby they didn't know um you know Dieter came from a small college that he was off the radar for NFL um, the college was more, I mean, they just wanted to play football. They didn't uh, hone their players for what's after. And, and sometimes a lot of them have a lot of difficulty uh, after their playing time is finished. So a lot of people would make the presumption that uh, a book about an athlete is going to be about his career on the field. And so I have to ask, you know, uh, you can talk, you can go on about the records and the legacy of Dieter mm-hmm. Rock, but... Is that what this, the focus is, or is this, no. is this who he was, who he became? His and and when I was doing Dieter's book, and and uh, it, they kept saying you got to talk to this guy because he'll tell you that Dieter had the best arm in football, and you need to talk to this guy from from the San Francisco 49ers. He had the best arm in football, and they'll tell you that. And it's, I finally said to to actually to Dieter and his wife and and a couple of the people that I was working with, I don't give a crap about his arm. I want to know about his heart. 
statistics, you can Google them. Why would someone want to read about that when it's on their computer screen or their phone? Tell me what went on in the background. Why did you make these decisions that you that you made? So what were some of those things that you, you try to reveal or the questions that you asked of Dieter and others for the book? Uh, over time, I learned that he, he was just a kid from the South that wanted to throw the football. He didn't want the fame. He didn't want the records. But there's the responsibility that is placed on you. Um, and... When you you hear some of these guys now, when you hear 30,000 people booed you, you know, um, uh, they went through that this year with... Yeah, uh, with Matt Nichols. With, and, and, and with he, Matt Nichols. He reacted viscerally for, to that, right, after and, the game. And, yeah. and as a professional, they're supposed to say, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, but now see, and there's the thing. Matt Nichols has moved his family to Winnipeg. Yes. He's named his late his, his newest member of his family, his daughter, is named Winifred yeah. after Winnipeg. Yeah. So it's like, hey, hold the phone here. I'm vested. I'm here. I'm in the community. I'm part of the community. I'm one of you. And so it hit Matt Nichols a little bit differently than it might have hit a player who was just on his way through town. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, Dieter was in over the summer and... Um, I, I, they stayed at, uh, at at my place for a week, and it was just a great opportunity to really get to know him uh, outside of football. Um, on the way to the airport, when I was, I drove him to the airport in the morning that they were leaving, and uh, his wife, who just would not stop talking the whole time she was here, was quiet in the back seat, and she was actually crying, saying, "If there's something that we could do that would bring us back to Winnipeg, please let us know." Oh wow. There, you know, there's the comment, you know, if you ask any Blue Bomber fan from the late 70s, mid 70s to the mid 80s when Dieter Brock was quarterback here, of course, he started as Ralph Brock and in 80 and 81, he was the most outstanding player in the CFL. And like you say, Robert, you can recite all the stats and you can try and, and build the football story. But Dieter Brock is most famous for suggesting whether he did it or not. The quote attributed to Dieter Brock is that there's nothing to do in Winnipeg other than go to the zoo. Mm-hmm. And I, that was an interesting part of, of doing this. I had access to some of the newspaper archives and um, I, I would read through it and I would send him copies of, of the articles. And, and there was one Friday night I sent him 11 copies of the articles that I found online during that time period. And Saturday morning, I got an email back from him, and I said to my my partner, I've got to call him because he is upset. He didn't know that the Winnipeg media was saying these things about him. Really? Because he didn't just chose not to read. Remember, there's or... no Google. There's no email. Right. Um, he stopped taking phone calls. And all of these, there was one page of, of one of the newspapers. There was two different articles. One said he was fishing in Kenora, and another said he was... Uh, on holidays in Florida with his family. And he said, I never went to either. I was home. But he didn't have the opportunity to, you know, respond to anything because he just didn't know what was happening. I always thought it would be nice to be an athlete or a celebrity or whatever back, you know, then because he didn't have that Twitter attacking you. Think of all the athletes that attacked that way. But then to learn later in life that that was all that was happening to him must have been hurtful too. Uh, Yeah, and he, he... Going through this is when he started to realize, because I, I, I think he, he just never understood why that hatred, why the community turned on him, because he, he just didn't, he didn't know that was going on. 
9.45 Friday morning. Can you stick around for another few minutes, Robert? We'll take a pause. We'll tell you how you can get your hands on this book. We'll delve into it a little bit deeper. Of course, we want you to read it and and hear all the stories, but it's it's I, I think it's an endless source of conversation. Dieter Brock left the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in August of 1983, and I think uh, most of us that were around for that can still talk about it, get excited about it, get angry about it, and uh, we're doing a little bit of that this morning. The book is The Birmingham Rifle. It's a story about Dieter Brock, who the man is, who he was. Robert Allen Young is the author. He also penned for Blue Bomber fans, What Doesn't Kill You, the Lyle Bauer story. And, well, we'll talk a little bit about that book as well when we continue. It is The Start. I'm Greg Loren. We're talking Lyle Bauer. We're talking Dieter Brock. Winnipeg Blue Bomber fans, you must have one on your Christmas list. This is a great last-minute gift idea for you. The book, The Birmingham Rifle, the story of Dieter Brock. Uh, the author, Robert Allen Young, joins us in the studio. And, and Robert, we were discussing this a little bit off-air, just this whole idea about you know being misunderstood. Dieter Brock uh, maybe just never understood why the relationship between him and the fans here in Winnipeg ended on, on such a a sour note because it was a different time. Um, it was. The communication was not what it is today. There was no Google. There was no email. There's no online newspapers. Uh, so he had no idea what was being said or what was going on. So I get the sense, and I was fortunate thanks to you to spend a little bit of time with Dieter and Jamie this summer and to see my boys interacting with my childhood hero, uh, it's a good thing I didn't end up a puddle because it was very <laughs> overwhelming to see. But w- what struck me was his humility, how humble a man Dieter Brock is, and how horrible I felt for saying the things that I've said about him over the years. Because and what were they first, just so to bring us all in? Well, first of all, that he was the greatest quarterback of all time. He was better than Warren Moon. But when he left Winnipeg, he broke my heart. And that was that was it. He was like he was like my first he might as well have been my first girlfriend that that broke up with me <laughs> because I wanted nothing to do with him after that. I cheered for him a little bit when he went to the to the NFL and went to the Rams, but let me tell you, nothing felt better than the Bombers winning their first great cup in 22 years. Mm-hmm. Beating the Hamilton Tiger Cats with him at quarterback. And I feel horrible admitting that now, but that's how I felt in 1983 and 1984. But when you when you look at people such as Dater, uh, Lyle, some of the, the, um, the music people that have come out of Winnipeg, who are they responsible to? Themselves, their families. So... But, but nobody... Nobody understands that. They think or, that, or would say that, Greg. I think a lot of people. Oh, and I think like, that's the point. That's the, no, I know, but the reality would be then we, that's what we'd hope for everybody that you're responsible to you and yours. But a hundred percent. But when you're a sport mm-hmm. fan, there's a line that's blurred. Right? I understand. When yeah. you think yeah. about Tiger Woods, the thing that upset me about what Tiger Woods was accused of doing, yes. his infidelity yeah. and everything, was that he wasn't just a golfer. There were commercials made with little kids saying, I am Tiger Woods. He I was want supposed to be that to, person. Correct. He was supposed to exemplify something larger. Dieter Brock never did any, did any of those things. But for us in the 80s, he was something yes. bigger. So you had an and expectation. We built, we built that up for sure. on his behalf. And and so maybe, and in the end, that probably wasn't fair. Well, his, it, and 
his greatest regret is having left Winnipeg. He is in Birmingham now and spends more time watching Winnipeg Blue Bomber games than he does the Los Angeles Rams. That says something. With the, you know, uh, they've left their heart here in Winnipeg, and but the the backlash, the 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 responsibility that some of these people have, uh, who put it there? When when you talk to some of them, um, you know, my my next project, I I, I mentioned. When someone says to me, it was never about the money, well, then what was it about? Why did you do what you did? That's what's fascinating, is to hear people's motivation. So when Greg says it broke his heart when Dieter left, is it fair to say it might have broke Dieter's a bit too? Probably worse. You went on with life. Mm -hmm. He, I can honestly say, he struggles with it today. That's remarkable. Thanks for bringing this story to uh, to all of us, Robert. It's, it's magical. Thank oh, you. My pleasure. Robert Allen Young. That book's available everywhere. McNally Robinson, I know it's Chapters. on the best bestsellers list. Chapters. Radiance Gifts. Well done, my man. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.